0: This morning, we begin a new series, a series called Regather, a time when we get back to the roots of our faith, get back to the roots, get back to the center of our faith, Jesus. We regather around our Lord Jesus Christ. This idea of gathering around, it comes from the season of Epiphany, Epiphany is the Greek word or the uh, English translation of the Greek word, means realization. When the church, most of the church, throughout most of the world right now, is celebrating the season of Epiphany, reading the early stories of Jesus' life and ministry, to realize again, more deeply, more fully, who he is. That he is the Son of God. That he is the humble servant king. And thinking about this some. And this morning, we begin where Jesus' ministry began with his baptism. As I mentioned last week at the feast, uh, much of the church around the world was celebrating the baptism of Jesus. And the text that we're reading today, most of the church was reading last week. So we're just a little bit behind, but still, it's good. For me, this is an exciting part of Scripture. And it's difficult for me to put my finger on it just what exactly it is but there's something amazing happening in this moment. It's beyond words. Realizing who Jesus is, not only by the things that he does here, but also by the words that God the Father speaks. The ways that this changes the world. The ways that the things that are happening in this moment of Jesus' baptism changes our lives. Maybe some of you are wondering, or maybe you've read this passage. We'll read it here in just a moment. You've thought about Jesus' baptism, maybe you've wondered, why is Jesus being baptized? I mean, John was talking about a baptism for the repentance, for the forgiveness of sin. Does Jesus have sin? He needs to be forgiven of? Or what about the way Jesus does it? I mean, the fact that, that Jesus, the Son of God, would come to John and be baptized by him. What humility. What a humble king. Maybe some of you are wondering how does this how does this what sort of implications does this have in our lives? How does this matter to us today? Well, if you would open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3, verses 14, 17. Or if you want to, also it's in the bulletin. You just want to open that up as well. Listen to this again. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, the heavens opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And the voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Let's pray that we would hear these words. Father in heaven, Lord God, we praise you. And we pray that we would hear your word. Holy Spirit, please speak to us again this morning. Please help us to hear your word. I pray, Lord God, that you would speak through me with the things that I Or that you have given me to speak this morning, that they would guide us as a church. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So there's all kinds of things happening here. All sorts of things. And many of them are really important. First of all, we get this glimpse of who Jesus is. We get this glimpse of our humble king. That we see Jesus and we see his humility see, you can kind of get a sense for it in John's reaction. John says, You are coming to me to be baptized? I need to be baptized by you. You are the king. You are the savior, the Messiah. And yet Jesus, in his humility, giving us a glimpse of what sort of king he is, what sort of God he is, reassures John. Pretty boldly, pretty strongly. John actually just says, Let it be. Let it happen like this. So we can fulfill all righteousness. And that's when John consented. I see in this moment, I see God setting the kingdom upside right. Setting this world upside right. Showing us how things really ought to be. That the humble are exalted. That sacrifice is treasured. That you lead, by obediently following the Father. These surprising realities that this is what the kingdom of God is like. I mean, no self-respecting rabbi would have shown up at the Jordan River at that point to be baptized by John. John was like a revival preacher out on the outskirts of town telling people to come, repent, and be baptized. A rabbi would have never shown up for that. Their whole thing was trying to convince people how right they were, how well they'd been living righteously. And yet here, Jesus, the Messiah, the rabbi of rabbis, shows up and says, let it be that we fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus shows up here, and one, we realize his humility is it. But also, Jesus says one of the reasons why he is here is to fulfill all righteousness. Now, I want to say this. You know, we, I touched on this question before. What does he mean by that? Does, does Jesus have righteousness that he doesn't, have, doesn't quite have yet and he needs to be baptized for it? I think we there's enough places in Scripture, numerous places. Then, like, for example, Paul's uh, second letter to the Corinthians, when he says, Jesus, who had no sin at all, he came sin for us so that we might be righteous. Jesus is not here at the river, not here at Jordan, uh, at the Jordan River, to be baptized by John because he somehow needs to repent of sin. I think there's something way bigger happening here. Jesus was sinless. He was God's perfect sacrifice, God's faithful son. I think Jesus is here because he's, as the king of, the king of God's people, the king of Israel, gathering up everything and acting as a representative for them. By him going under the water, as a representative, he brings God's people with him. He's making a new way through baptism towards a right relationship with God. I think this is what he means by let us, Jesus and his people, let us fulfill righteousness. And so he's baptized here. But it's really God the Father who reveals the best part of what's happening here. It's the words of the Father and the things that he says that show us what's happening. As soon as Jesus is baptized, he comes right up out of the water. He comes up out of the water and the heavens are opened. The heavens are opened and a voice speaks. Actually, sorry, the, the... The Holy Spirit descends and lands on him like a dove. And then the voice speaks. A voice comes from heaven and says, This is my Son, whom I love. In Him I am so pleased. Imagine, if you can, for just a second, what that moment would have been like. One moment, you're standing there by the Jordan River. You watch Jesus go down into the water and come up and the heavens explode open. And you see the Holy Spirit come down and land on him. And if that weren't enough to throw you to the ground, praying, Lord, please have mercy on me, then you hear this voice. A voice that you hear with your ears, sure, but mainly you feel it reverberating through your chest. This is my son whom I love. In him I am so pleased. To hear Yahweh, the Lord God, the creator of heaven and earth, to hear him speak. To say anything, let alone to say these things over Jesus. What an amazing moment. I was thinking about this and I was um, thinking of just fireworks going on. What an amazing moment. But here's the thing, if that, if we can relate to that, I would say that's about at a three. Imagine if we could hear it through the text of the Old Testament, through the things that the prophets said. Imagine if we could hear the words that God said in that context. It goes from a three to a ten. It reminds me of of the soundboard in a piano. Without a soundboard, when you hit the keys, the piano just plinks. Tink, tink. But with the soundboard, it gathers a sound and reverberates it and fills the room. The words of the prophets, the words of Isaiah, the words of Psalm 2, they're like a soundboard for what God has said here. Listen to this. In Isaiah 61, it said, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, to release from darkness those who are in prison, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort those who mourn. What about Isaiah 11? It begins, it says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. His root will provide a branch that will bear fruit. And and the Spirit of the Lord will be upon him. Sound familiar to what's happening with Jesus? What about Psalm 2? It says, I have installed my king on Zion, on my holy hill, and I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the world your possession. what about isaiah 42 and the lord speaking of servant he says here is my servant whom i uphold my chosen one in whom i delight i will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations these are the words that were spoken hundreds of years before jesus the things that God spoke through prophets. And again, he takes these words up, gathers them together and speaks them over Jesus at the moment he comes up out of the water. First, we realize that Jesus is anointed by God's spirit. Isaiah kept saying again and again, my spirit will be upon him. The spirit of God will rest upon this chosen one. In the ancient world, actually in Hebrew, anointed, the the Hebrew word for anointed is Mashiach, from which we get the word Mashiach or Messiah, which they translate in Greek as Christ, which we might say today as Savior, one who is anointed, the Savior chosen by God. The Spirit comes and rests on Jesus signifying to us, letting us know that he is God's chosen Savior, not only that, Psalm 2 is a king psalm. It's a coronation psalm. It's a psalm that they would read and proclaim over the people when they would put a new crown on a new king. So says, today I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. This is what he said. You are my son. Today I have become your father that Jesus is God's great king from the line of great kings, from the line, from the house of David. In Chronicles and Samuel, we read the stories of how, speaking through prophets, that God promised to David that he would have one of his uh, descendants would always reign, would reign forever. This Jesus is that king. He is that great king who comes from the house of David, the one that the people of Israel had been waiting for for centuries. So Jesus is this king, but also, too, the servant. The servant of the Lord that you read about in Isaiah. The servant, which is like another way of saying the Savior. If you read through Isaiah, the servant was one who would be obedient to God, and because of his obedience, because of his sacrifice, he would save not only God's people, but all people. Jesus is that servant, that Savior. So we see here, by the things that God said, we begin to catch a glimpse of who Jesus is. One, that he's humble. That he would even show up at this river to be baptized. This amazing King. We see that he's Holy Spirit anointed. That He is the Messiah, the Savior. God's Spirit has rested on him, and he is the great king. But a special kind of great king, a great servant king a king who would be completely obedient to God as Father. I think of the night that Jesus was betrayed. He's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. Faithfulness. Obedient unto death. Paul, in his letter to the church in Philippi, trying to explain to them about humility, to hold one another above themselves, he says, be like the Lord Jesus Christ, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Took on the very nature of a person and became a slave. Being found in appearance as a man, he became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. So that at the name of Jesus every tongue would confess, every knee would bow that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is this connection between Jesus' descent down into humility and God exalting him above. Jesus is this servant king, this faithful, obedient servant king. And I feel like in one way I'm preaching... (laughs) these things to you and you've heard this before i know maybe you're wondering okay jc no i've i i already know this on one level <laughs> like i know that he is humble and i know that he is a servant king how does that matter for us today how does that matter for us things for things right now what does it do in us first i think about it how it means that we follow our king with humility ourselves I don't know, maybe as we're talking about baptism, maybe some of you were thinking of your baptism. How humbly we come to baptism. Come to baptism not because we've earned our way, not because we have completed the requirements of faithfulness. Baptism is grace received. A gift of grace. We don't earn Our right to be baptized. It's a gift we receive. So we receive this grace at baptism. This morning, I want to remind us that we continually need this grace. Grace is something that we continue to need. We sin. fail we know what's good and we don't do it we know what's evil or what God has directed us not to do and yet we still do it I say this not because I want to harp on sinfulness (laughs) not because I'm trying to guilt us into thinking or to think how bad we are. I'm just trying to be honest. We fail. Some of us fail a lot. The things that we do, the things that we say, even the things that we think. Honestly, we continue to need grace. Grace. As I'm thinking about Jesus' baptism, I am reminded of my baptism in God's grace and how I continue to need grace. But there's even more. There's even more going on here. The first thing that, as I've been thinking about this, is not only is there the story of Jesus' baptism, what I don't have in the text is that if you were to keep reading on from this point, from Matthew chapter 3, verse 14 and 17, Jesus comes up out of the water. <clears throat> the Lord God speaks over him. We realize in profound ways that he is God's servant king, that he is the son of God. The next thing Jesus does, he goes out into the desert where he's tempted. And then after that, he goes out into mission. Jesus, comes, Jesus goes under the water, rises up, and out into mission. Next, he begins to gather his disciples, all 12 of them, the guys who are fishing, the guys at tax booth. He gathers his disciples. Then he begins preaching, preaching the good news that the kingdom of God has come and healing all sorts of diseases, walking around healing people because he can not because they earned it or somehow deserved it, but because he could, because of who he is. Jesus began his ministry. And I think of this, I want to, to throw this at you, is that we often, or at least I often, think of baptism like a ceremony that happens in a church. And yet as I read this story, baptism is more like a gun going off at the start of a race. Jesus was baptized. He went down, came up, and went out into mission. Into ministry. Into proclaiming good news that the kingdom had come and doing things to bless people, to heal them. That's been encouraging for me this week. For the last while, I've been thinking about the open seats in our church as we gather on Sunday, how it seems like there's more. And as we look, there are more open seats lately. Families who've moved away, people who have been a part of this church for years, having to move into town, are unable to come because they can't drive anymore. You can see the open seats next to us, and we can be discouraged. Sometimes I feel discouraged by it. Maybe we have feelings of, you know, that we're not doing something right. Or even fear of what's going to happen with our church family here. Well, this morning, as, or actually this week, as I've been reflecting on Jesus' baptism and his mission out of it, I'm encouraged that we take the angst that maybe we feel about these empty seats we take this angst and we channel it into urgency. The open seat. All the angst that comes from that, we channel it into urgency. Urgency and mission. Outreach to our community. Blessing our friends and our neighbors. Praying for them. Beginning with prayer. Listening to them. Making time to listen to their stories to show that we care for them by getting to know them, eating meals together, sharing meals and conversation around the table, serving them, finding some way to meaningfully bless them, whether it's an encouraging word or serving them, or sharing, then having the opportunity to share our story, how God has changed our lives, what he's meant for us. That we bless people in our community, find new and creative ways to be a blessing. I think the reality is, is that our days as a comfortable, established church are behind us, that we are moving into a new time as a church, as a church on mission, a church that looks a lot more like a church plant, like the way that many of you came and were a part of this church years ago when it planted here in this community. It's not just us, it's across Canada. Churches are declining and closing. But I also see the times when this makes the church grow and thrive. If we will be faithful in God's mission, if we will keep watching for where Jesus is at work and join him in it. I know it can be discouraging to look down your row and see more open seats than filled. But I think God is calling. He is calling us. He is starting us in a new season as a church. It's no longer a comfy church where we just gather together, but a church on mission. Even deeper, even deeper in our community in mission, to be a blessing to people. And so it's true. We gather together here and we sing and we praise God and we pray together And we hear sermons and we listen to God's word. But I also want Sunday morning for us to be a place where we regroup after a week of ministry. Where we regroup and we pray for people in our community who don't know Jesus yet, who are not following him yet. The Sunday morning becomes a time when we share our stories about what God is doing. What we've seen him do this last week. The life that we saw him change. The person that we saw healed. The person we saw who got on down their knees and asked God for forgiveness and began following for their first time ever. That we encourage one another because it can be discouraging to talk again and again, to pray for people over years and not see them come to faith in Christ. We are entering a new season as a church. Like a church on mission. Scrapping for every person in our community, no longer content to, to sit here and to wait for them to show up, but continuing to go out even more than I know many of you do, to continue to go out and encourage our community in faith, to be a blessing to them, to show up in surprising ways and bless them. This morning, I hear all sorts of things. Like I said, this passage I, it's beyond words for me. It's hard for me to put into words how meaningful it is, everything that's happening here. I mean, how humbly Jesus comes and submits to baptism, gathering all of the people with him and fulfills all righteousness. And then the things that God says, I mean, heaven splitting open and the, word, the Lord God Yahweh saying, this is my son whom I love. In him I am so pleased. And everything, all the Old Testament prophets, that gathers up in one moment so we can see who Jesus is. But not only that, but the ways that it causes us to respond. The response that it brings up out of us because Jesus went down into the water, sprung up, out, sprung up and then went out into mission. So we hear this story again and we follow our servant king out into mission out into our community, to bless people, to eat meals with them, to listen to their stories, to serve them in surprising ways, and to see what God will do. This is good news this morning. I pray that we follow our servant king. Amen. So I'm interested to hear from you.